Welcome to Books and Sound. I'm your host, Don Beavers, and this episode contains a digitally remastered theatrical presentation of one of the great works of literature. Please remember to subscribe so that you can enjoy new episodes as they are released. This podcast is provided free and offered without commercial interruption. If you enjoy the episode, please leave us a positive review so that we can grow the podcast. Enjoy. This is the NBC University Theater, bringing you a full-hour dramatization of Henry Fielding's classic novel, Tom Jones, starring Tom Conway in the title role. Tom Jones has been accepted by most critics as the work which set the form of the modern English novel. Published first in 1749, it was a massive work, rollicking in tone and robust in content, filled with amorous ladies and three-bottle men. Now, Tom Jones, as told by Henry Fielding. Mr. Allworthy was astonished. Of course, he was not the first man to discover upon returning home after an absence of some months that his bedroom had become a nursery, and indeed that his own bed held a sleeping baby. Yet, Mr. Allworthy was astonished. He knew he had performed no dynastic service, and he had the faith in his wife that only a man who had buried his wife five years before could have. Mrs. Wilkins! Bridget! Come here at once! May I explain that Mrs. Wilkins was the housekeeper whose age was roughly equal to that of the Sphinx and, I might add, was of equal charm and beauty. Bridget, Mr. Allworthy's sister, had but one attraction. She was heiress to all her brother's considerable fortune. You call, sir? Uh, uh, Come in, Mrs. Wilkins. Look what's on my bed. It looks like a baby. A baby here? See for yourself, Bridget. Well, what impudence in leaving it here. Why, everyone will say it's yours, brother. I don't think the poor mother... Ah, poor mother indeed. Well, she, whoever she is, probably left it here to make sure it would be provided for. She might have done worse. Whatever are you going to do with it, Thomas? Turn it over to the parish? I'm going to keep him and raise him, just as if he were my boy, Bridget. But what about the... Vile, filthy hussy who left him. What's to be done with her? The first thing to be done is to find her. I'll have Mrs. Wilkins inquire around the parish. Mrs. Wilkins went into town and consulted with a friend of hers. They began to analyze each girl of the parish to see which one had succumbed to that temptation which had never been offered them. Hmm. There's the potter's daughter. Aye. Taint her, though it could have been. No. wrench. No, this bread ain't hers. Jenny. Jenny Jones, that's the one. You sure? Certainly sure. Wore a silk dress to church Sunday and a laced cap to boot. No. Jenny Jones? Her that was a servant girl to the schoolmaster's wife, Mrs. Partridge. The very one. 
And I heard that Mrs. Partridge gave her the sack because of Mr. Partridge, if you know what I mean. Hmm, that I do. And besides, the girls learned to read and write. No. And in Latin, too. She's the one. No doubt about it. She's the one. In all fairness to Mrs. Wilkins, let it be here recorded that in accordance with the right given all Englishmen to receive an impartial hearing, Jenny Jones was summoned to appear before that worthy lady. You sent for me, Mrs. Wilkins? Mrs. Wilkins began with all the mild, sweet womanliness of her nature to question Jenny. You vile, audacious strumpet! You vile, wanton hussy! You wretched, abandoned woman! After some minutes of such gracious words of greeting, Mrs. Wilkins presented her evidence. Latin, indeed. <clears throat> You'd have been better off learning how to speak your own language first. You should have studied how to say no in plain English. <laughs> if she'd said no in Latin, Mr. Partridge would have understood her. Partridge? Him? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. Who taught you to go leaving your brat over to Mr. Allworthy's, eh? Tell me that. No one. I thought of it myself. Presently the hubbub died down, reviving only briefly when Mr. Allworthy stood as godfather at the christening of the boy and gave him his own name of Thomas, which, joined to the surname of his only known parent, gave him the complete name of Thomas Jones, Tom Jones. And it is with him that this history is mainly concerned. During Tom's very first year in the household of Mr. Allworthy, a pebble dropped into the stream of his life, and, as is the nature of pebbles dropped into water, it caused a splash and endless ripples. But first, meet the pebble. Uh, Bridget, this is Captain Blyfield, the brother of our dear doctor. Strange are the ways of love, for at once Captain Blyfield fell in love with Bridget Allworthy. He loved her, knowing full well that her beauty was not her fortune. He loved her because her fortune was her beauty. And for her part, Miss Bridget was of similarly infatuated. I shall spare you the details of the courting, but there were certain consequences which must be known. The entrance into the world of a son to Captain and Mrs. Blyfield, and the exit from this world of Captain Blyfield. And under the benevolent auspices of Mr. Allworthy, and in company with that gentleman's nephew, young Blyfield, Tom Jones grew from infant to child to youth to young manhood. The reader may judge that formative period by meeting the form product Tom Jones in his 19th year, and in company with Mr. Allworthy's nephew, the young Master Blyfield. Thomas, that's the fourth glass of water you've gulped down. You'll choke. Ah. <sighs> Friend Blyfield, I've never been so dry in all my life. I had three miles of turnpike dirt in my throat. Why should you walk back from Briggs Fair? You were riding when you left this morning. You were on the bay hunt her uncle gave you. I, uh, I sold the horse. Oh, no. Thomas, why? Please tell me you're not involved in some trouble again. Oh, no, 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 nothing like that. I'd be only too happy to do anything to help. Oh, thank you, Blyfield, but there's nothing to help. 
However, I would take it most kindly if you didn't mention this to Mr. Thwackham. You have my solemn oath, Thomas. I shan't say a word about the sale of your horse. Reverend Mr. Thwackham, just referred to, was the private tutor responsible for young Blyfield's and Tom Jones's education, and universally respected for his qualities of justice and religion. For example, although he had early formed the opinion that Tom was a totally corrupted fellow, sinful and certainly born to hang, Mr. Thwackham was still willing, indeed eager, to accept any and all evidence that supported his opinion. Jones! Master Jones! Come here! Come, come now. How long must I wait, wicked wretch? Uh, yes, Mr. Thwackham? Don't lie to me now. It won't do a bit of good because I know if you're lying. Where is your horse? Oh, uh, horse? Uh, well... Uh... Stop lying, you depraved fiend. I wasn't lying. I hadn't said anything yet. You certainly did. You said, er, and, uh, well, and when a sentence starts like that, the lie is always at the bottom of the well. Where's the horse? I sold it. Today at Briggs Fair. Oh. Have you got the money with you? No, sir. It's all gone. All? Uh-huh. Tell me, you miserable scoundrel. What vice did you squander the money on? I'll not tell you. Uh-huh. You'll not, eh? And a good switching will get it out of you. But I... Exactly. Just as well you sold your horse. You'll not be sitting on a horse for quite a while. I promise you that. Listen to it sing, Master Jones. It has a convincing voice. I won't tell you. Not if you flog me for the rest of the day. Assume the angle, Master Jones. Hello, hello. What is going on in here? What is it, Tom? I refuse to tell Mr. Thwackham what I did with the money I got from... from selling the bay hunter you gave me. Oh, you sold the bay. Uh, Mr. Thwackham, would you let me have a few minutes alone with Tom? Oh, yes, of course. I'll wait in my own rooms. I'd like to ask you the same question Mr. Thwackham asked Tom. You want to answer it for me? Very much, sir. You know that I can refuse you nothing. Nor have I ever wanted to, but not that schoolroom tyrant with his switchings. Tom, how dare you talk about your tutor in that fashion? I'm sorry, sir. Now, Tom, about the horse. Well, sir, it's Black George and his family. He used to be your gamekeeper. Yeah, I discharged him for poaching, as I recall. Yes, sir. Well, it's been going hard with him. Well, you never saw such misery. There's nothing in the house, not a bite to eat, not a coal or log to burn... Hardly enough rags to cover themselves. I, I couldn't bear it, sir. I just couldn't. You sold the horse for them? Yes, and for me. And for you, sir. I, I thought and thought about it. Selling your gift seemed wrong, and then I realized that there was no way for me ever to repay you for all your goodness. But in recognition of it, to show my gratitude for your help by giving help to someone who needed it, I gave the money to Black George, every farthing. And you've just paid whatever debt you thought you owed me. For in truth, Tom, I never have felt that you were in my debt. Uh, let's go down to dinner. You're keeping no date with Mr. Thwackham for this day's work. Let us examine now another aspect of young Mr. Jones. Tom Jones was, uh, as perhaps I should have mentioned earlier... A remarkable, handsome young man with that aspect which I cannot describe as it can only be seen by the female eye. And his affections were engaged early in life. The object of his tender thoughts was Miss Sophia Weston, whose father's estate bordered that of Mr. Allworthy. Since the lad was a fine horseman and a finer hunter, 
and Mr. Weston was of that order of men passionately devoted to the chasing and slaughtering of animals, namely sportsmen. They were great friends. I shall only say of Miss Sophia's appearance that it was as compelling to men's hearts as money to a miser's. And so, on with our history and the hunt. Miss Sophia, rein in a bit. Give the horses a breather. I, I've got him as tight as I can. He's fighting the bit. Just hold him while I move over. I'll grab his rein. Oh, please do I. Oh. Hold fast. He's trying to rear. Now, let go, Miss Sophia. Let go of the rein. I'm afraid. I... Are you all right, Miss Sophia? Yes. Yes, I seem to be. You made quite a catch. I never touched the ground. I, uh... I'm afraid I must set you down now. Mr. Jones... You're as white as death. You've hurt yourself. I'm afraid I have my arm. Oh, it's broken. Uh, that was my opinion, too, Miss Sophia. Tom was taken to the Western House where a neighboring surgeon so expertly cared for him that instead of merely bandaging the arm, he ordered him to be put to bed and kept there. Now, a Cupid appears on the scene. Only this was no chubby little cherub, but Miss Sophia's maid, a young woman with the odd name of Mrs. Honor. And it was the opinion of several of the cooks that she was Mrs. Honor in name only. Faith, Mr. Jones, I don't understand you. You love my mistress now, don't you? No, oh, hold your tongue, Magpie. Of course you do. So why don't you tell her so? I wish you'd be struck dumb. Say, what's holding you back? The right to say it. What have I got? You're right pretty. A little thin from being in bed so long. Oh, silence, Isabel's, or I'll choke you. I have nothing. Just the charity of Mr. Allworthy. And as for name, the only one I bear is illegitimate. Well, as for money... Miss Sophia will have enough for six husbands when she marries, and a stable of husbands when Mr. Weston Not dies. if she married me, or anyone Mr. Weston disapproved. Oh, he'd never consent. Tom was right. As far as Mr. Weston was concerned, family and fortune were just as necessary to marriage as a difference in sexes. If I were to record here the tender talk that passed between the two lovers, I should leave several blank pages at this point. Their conversation was confined to eloquent silences. However, I shall say that they both knew the exact status of their hearts and of themselves. come to visit. Auntie! Oh, what a nice surprise. Sophia. Hmm, thinned out a bit, haven't you? Who's this? That's the lad. The hero who saved our Sophia. That's Tom Jones. Oh, how do you do? 
My brother's manners seem as bad as ever. I'm Miss Weston. Your servant, Miss Weston. Would you like something, Auntie, some tea? Yes, very much. Your father's only suggestion was beer. Hmm, looks like you have callers, brother. A cart just pulled up in front. It looks like... Why, it is young Blyfield. Hmm, nice lad, Blyfield. Open the door, Tom. What? Oh, oh, Tom, I was just going to knock on you. Blyfield, come in, come in. Why lallygag on the doorstep? Uh, thank you, Mr. Weston. Miss Sophia? How's your uncle? It's on that account I've called. He's quite ill, Tom. In fact, the doctor fears that before morning... Oh, no. Oh, no. No, not... Oh, thank you, Blyfield, for coming. Can we get back in time? Yes, but hurry. Your pardon, Mr. Weston. Miss Weston, Sophia. I'll walk to the trap with you. Mr. Allworthy's always been so very good, so very fortunate. Tell me, brother, who is this Blyfield? Nice enough, lad. Little thin in the spirit... But he inherits the only estate and fortune in Somerset larger than this, Mr. Allworthy's. It's just next to this. Did you notice how Sapphire acted? Same as always. Always acts the same. Ah, you fool. Sapphire's in love with that Blyfield. I'm a woman, and a woman can always tell such things. (laughs) Why, that's wonderful. What an estate it'll be when his and mine are one. Yes, yes, he's, he's a fine, wonderful young man, and I love him dear. And he'll make a dear son-in-law. I'll go over to see Allworthy straight away and get it arranged. They can marry on uh, on Tuesday. Shut up, you babbling country booby. Wait and see if this Mr. Allworthy lives or dies. Perhaps you'll have to address young Blyfield himself instead. Mr. Allworthy was as white as if he were already dead. Everyone except Mrs. Blyfield, who was off on a visit, was in the sick man's room, watching, and in some cases waiting, for the old man's death. I'll see who it is. There's an attorney from Salisbury here. He has an urgent message for Mr. Allworthy. Will you see him, nephew? I'm too tired, and you may as well start. We shall all go. You must try to sleep. Doctor, may I remain just to sit and watch him? I won't say a word, I promise. All right, but not a sound. Come along, Mr. Blyfield. Mr. Thwackham. More sad news. Did you speak to the attorney, Blyfield? My mother is dead. Heart seizure while in Salisbury. My boy... You must bear this with true Christian fortitude. I should tell my uncle. Oh, by no means, Mr. Blyfield. It would be dangerous. She was his only sister, Doctor. He's always told me never to conceal anything from him, no matter how serious or trivial. But this could very easily be fatal to him. My uncle is a man and a Christian. I cannot disobey him now. Tom was enraged by Blyfield's act, but he kept quiet, not daring a disturbance. When the others left, he stayed on right through the night. When the doctor arrived, he found Joan still there. Doctor, how is he? Come along outside. Doctor, tell me. Go and get some food and some sleep. Doctor, for pity's sake, how is he? He's going to be all right, but you won't be if... Doctor, you wonderful, beautiful doctor... Come on, we'll breakfast together. There's some very special wine that'll make a wonderful breakfast. 
Let's let's drink to you, Doctor. We have eight or eleven times. I insist. What goes on in here? Tom, are you drunk? Blythe will thwack him. Our dear Mr. Allworthy is going to be all right. What's that you say? He's going to be all right. He'll, he'll live. <laughs> have a drink, everybody. Stop it. In case you've forgotten, this is the house of mourning. I am the head of the house. My dear mother is dead. Blythe, I, I apologize. I'm ashamed. Please forgive me. Here. Here's my hand and my pardon. I want neither from you. After all, having known no parents, how can you feel anything for my misfortune? Why, you rascal. Why don't you say the word out loud? Why don't you now punch your head in? I'll do it anyway. Tom, I... Oh, rascal, I waited for this. Allworthy regained his strength rapidly, and soon after he quit his bed. That very day, he was visited by Mr. Weston, bound on his alliance. Well, Allworthy, how did it strike you? She's a fine girl, and since she's willing... Of course she is. Then if my nephew's willing also, it is a match. Well, it's done and settled. A match? A match it is. Then I shall tell her right away. I never thought he'd approve. Give his consent to him. Why shouldn't your father give his consent? Mr. Blyfield will inherit all... Mr. Blyfield? Well, of course. Who did you think I meant? That Tom Jones, the foundling? The... Good Lord, you did. Oh, Auntie, what have you done to me? You're in love with that... that love child? My dear Sophia, your reasons are not sound. When the estates belong together, so do the boy and girl. I hate Mr. Blyfield. Well, that's marriage for you. Oh, please, Papa, please. Don't talk to me about it anymore. All right. But you'll marry Blyfield and that's final. Why shouldn't she love him? Look at the estate, the income. And I told her to love him. Oh, children aren't dutiful anymore. Come in. Hello, Mr. Weston. Tom Jones. Tom, I'm glad you're here. I I can't talk to that girl of mine anymore. Maybe you can make her see reason. What is it? Sophia, my, my stubborn, stiff-necked Sophia. Here I've gone and arranged for her to marry as fine a fortune and a state. Uh, but you know yourself. Blyfell and she Blyfell... would make... And Sophia? And she says she won't. Says she don't love him. You talk sense to her. I can't. Yes. Let me talk to her. Please go away. It's me, Sophia. Tom, Tom, they... I know. Oh, please, darling, don't let them do it. Oh, I wish it could be you. I love you. Oh, I love you, too. Now, don't talk. Just stay near me. did what, Mr. Weston? Why, sent Tom in to reason with her. Oh, you fool. He's the reason she's unreasonable. Hmm? She loves him. No. The whelp. Sneaking in here, courting her under my very nose, and I thought he came for fox hunting. 
there, here in this room. Oh, he's kissing her. She's kissing him. Oh, you weasel, you snake in the grass. I'm going to beat your brains out. And that's what I've come to see you about, Mr. Allworthy. Most distressing. Well, nephew, what do you intend to do? I'm amazed at what Mr. Weston's just told us. Frankly, sir, my pride and heart would have me drop this matter. If she prefers Tom to me. But you don't intend to. No. Miss Sophia must be protected. If it weren't for her danger, I, I wouldn't tell you the truth about Tom Jones. I didn't tell you before because I knew how hurt you would be, sir. But on the day of your great illness, sir... Blyfield told about the morning the doctor had announced Mr. Allworthy would recover. And had the doctor heard the tale, he'd not have recognized it. Nor need I describe the exact shades of black, blacker and blackest that Blyfield used to paint Tom, his actions, his words and his motives. The results were disastrous for Tom. Mr. Jones, you have deceived me and have been a drunkard, a brawler, a liar, a hypocrite, and even a fortune hunter. You have acted without a shred of honor. Here now, boy, this envelope. It contains some money to carry you, I hope, far away, even out of England. But, Mr. Allworthy, that's I... all I have to say to you. Goodbye. Sophia, such news. Poor Mr. Jones. Tom, what is it? Is he hurt? Turned out. Mr. Allworthy's thrown him out of his house with not a penny, not a scrap on his back. Oh, my poor Tom. And me. Poor me. What's to be? Why, now I guess you'll marry Mr. Blyfoot. He's not too bad looking with a little fattening up. Never. Probably... Mrs. Honor, now hmm. would you like a hundred pounds? <gasps> a hundred? Faith, indeed. All you have to do is to help me get out of here and to London. There you'll get your hundred pounds. Oh, but, but that's a long way. But <laughs> I've always wanted to see London. From Hollywood, the NBC University Theater is bringing you Tom Conway in a radio version of the classic English novel, Tom Jones. This is the second in a new dramatic series based on the great novels of Anglo-American literature. If you are interested in supplementing your enjoyment of these dramatizations through home study under college supervision, be sure to listen to the announcement at the end of this program. And now our intermission commentator on Tom Jones, Mr. J. Donald Adams noted critic and author of the Speaking of Books column in the New York Times. Speaking from New York, here is Mr. J. Donald Adams. The novel that is being dramatized for you today was published just 200 years ago. It's a token of its great vitality and its truth to the unchanging aspects of human life that it can still be read today with so much enjoyment. It was the work of a man who knew life himself, who had lived it fully, 
and with enormous zest, who had no illusions about human nature, but who was acutely aware of its equal capacity for both good and evil. He was a moralist without dogma, in whom clear-sightedness and sympathy were powerfully combined. Henry Fielding's contributions to the development of the English novel are hard to overestimate. He was a pioneer on several counts. He was the first English novelist to make his readers intimately acquainted with the background against which the people of his stories lived their lives. He knew both town and country, and though he was born too soon to share in the romantic revival of interest in nature, it yet can be said of him that he was the first of his craft to bring nature into the novel. He was a pioneer also in greatly enlarging the scope of character creation in the novel. Before him, both in the plays of the period and in its novels, the people depicted were commonly little more than exaggerated types. Fielding not only included a wide range of characters in his stories, he also saw them more fully in the round. I have called him a moralist, and in his conception of morality, he was again a pioneer. In the work of the essayists like Addison, from which the novel emerged, and in the novels of his immediate predecessor, Samuel Richardson, morality was a mere matter of prudence. Readers were told, do right, in order that you may prosper in this world and hope for happiness in the next. Fielding's great contribution was his appeal to higher motives for right conduct. Virtue, he told his readers, finds its reward in peace of spirit and vice its punishment in the torturings of conscience. But if Fielding was a moralist in his writing, he was not a smug one. The lusty love of life and the sympathetic understanding with which he views the failure of a character like Tom Jones to live up consistently to his good intentions are among the traits which endear him to us as a writer. These and the deep springs of humor in the man are reasons enough why we can read him still two centuries after he wrote. Thank you, Mr. Adams. The NBC University Theater version of Tom Jones with Tom Conway in the title role will continue after a brief pause for station identification. find Tom Jones alone, friendless, untied by blood to anyone or any place, tied by love to the one person and the one place he had to go from. We join him next at a barber shop, some day's journey from London, in position for shaving and in a mood of some urgency. Would you hurry, please, barber? Ah, sir, festina lente. Uh, make haste slowly, as the Romans say. Well, fancy a barber who speaks Latin. Uh, Latin and, and Greek and a complete knowledge of all cultural matters, sir. You're a wonder, sir, barber. Indeed a wonder. Mm, at the moment, more a uh, wondering barber. Um, if I may ask, sir, isn't your name uh, uh, Tom Jones? Oh, this is magical. <laughs> Are you a wizard, too? Uh, I, I thought I recognized you. And, and how is the good Mr. Allworthy? He is well. Or was when last I saw him some days ago. 
Uh, now, tell me, how do you know so much about my affairs? It might interest you, Mr. Jones, that I was once given the honor of being called your father. You what? My name, although I've not used it since it... Partridge. I yes. seem to recollect vaguely some talk. Oh, years ago. Tell me. Tell me the truth. Are you my father? I have not that honor, but, but in having it credited to me, I, I was disgraced and bankrupted. I must apologize to you, Partridge, for all the trouble my birth has caused you. Uh, then tell me, where are you going? I, uh, huh? I don't know. I, I suppose London. Oh, yeah, that's a splendid place. And abounding with opportunity for a well-bred and a, uh, a handsome young man. Uh, what would you say to my... Uh, uh, to having me join you? I, I'd be very happy, but uh, I have very little money. Aha, uh... uh-huh, but excellent prospects. Excellent. Look, Partridge, the moon is out. Yes, it looks like a big dinner plate. Oh, what an answer. Have you no romance in you? I have nothing in me. We have not eaten since early morning. We'll eat soon. Oh, look, Partridge, you can see the inn at Upton atop the ridge. And by then it will be too late to get a bite. Let's run. You run ahead, Partridge, and make sure of dinner. Ah, good. And a fine dinner, too. So Tom strolled along, thinking those thoughts that afflict all parted lovers. When the mood was abruptly shattered... Help! Help! Murder! Help me! He looked round, and in the moonlight he saw a man and a woman struggling in a small clearing not 50 feet away. And straight towards the spot he ran, swinging a thick oak staff that he'd been carrying as a walking stick. And now he used it as a club, and to good advantage. For soon the woman's assailant took to his heels and fled. Thank heaven you came, sir. You must have been sent by the angels themselves to help me. Indeed, seeing you full in the moonlight, you seem quite angelic yourself. Uh, you, uh, you are most charming in the moonlight, if I may mention it. Oh, oh! don't look. I, I've half my clothes torn off. Oh, believe me, madam, the effect couldn't be more charming. <laughs> Walked to the inn, he ahead and she bringing up the rear. Preceding her into the inn, Tom had Partridge and all the other men turn their backs to the door and turn so himself while the landlady took her up to her room. The lady's all settled down, sir. Fine. Did you get her some, uh, uh, you know, clothes? No, I ain't been that size since I got married. She ordered some food sent up for her and told me to ask you to join her at supper. Hmm. Uh, to this, I can find no objection. With your pardon, Partridge. Uh, I, Mr. Jones, um, with my pardon and a touch of um, uh, envy. <laughs> uh, for there's something tugging at my brain. I, I, I find some old association in the demeanor of that woman. Later that night, a horseman stopped at the inn and, finding a chambermaid, asked her a foolish question. Look, girl, how would you like five pounds? Oh, oh, five pounds, sir. Oh, Stop your noise. I'm looking for my wife, Mrs. Fitzpatrick. She's handsome. Bold looking, huh? but handsome. Now, look, if she's here, 
Just show me to her door in the dark. Oh. Oh, that must be the lady in the small dining room. Uh, give me the money. Here, come now. You dustn't tell mistress or she'll turn me away. No, no. Shh. That's the door. Over there. Stand back. I'm coming in for you, my wife. And I'll have the gizzard of your companion. That's a brave speech. Now let us see who makes it. My name's Fitzpatrick. I'm looking for my wife. And, and I am not your wife. Well, I thought I'd find her and went in. Broke in? And then this rascal here, he comes at me with a carving knife in his hand. You merit a split skull for this night's blunder. All I know is that I'm very much insulted by all this. And I desire only to retire to my room and get whatever sleep is left this night. So... Once again, the inn quieted down. Partridge, who'd been asleep, now decided some hot drink well laced with spirits was what he needed. It was thus that Mr. Partridge observed the arrival of two ladies, one young and one older, once well known to us. Oh, good evening, my ladies. Please do enter. Have you any rooms available for my maid and me? Lovely ones, my lady, and fine supper, though tis late. Just the rooms, please. I'm very tired, and I've such a short time to rest. My maid may eat if you like. This way. Look here, girl. Have you anything fit for gentry to eat? Hmm. Mutton at this hour. Ah, I'll wager gentry was never even near this inn. And there, loud one, you are wrong. Drunkard. At this moment, my dear friend, the heir of Mr. Allworthy, of whom no doubt even you have heard, hmm? <laughs> young Mr. Allworthy himself is here. Young Mr. Allworthy? The squire has no son, only a nephew. Well, he also is known by the name of Jones. Uh, Tom Jones. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, Such luck, dear mistress. Mr. Jones is here in this very inn. Oh, no. I cannot be so fortunate. That, uh, that gentleman is his friend, he says. Well, then, perhaps you'll take us to him, sir. Oh, oh, oh my. No, I'll I, I tell you. You wait until the morning. You can see him then. Oh, please don't make sport of me. Take me to him now. Oh, no, no. Be, be reasonable. It, it, it's impossible. He's... Uh, Come, mistress. He's got himself involved with some hussy right here. No. It was seen by everyone here. Mrs. Honor, take my little muff and have the chambermaid place it in his room. Yes, ma'am. Let's leave. Let's leave this instant. I can't stand it here. I can't. <laughs> Tom's state the next morning was a fierce sight to behold. He threatened to kill Partridge, then himself, and then both of them together. Then he decided to follow Sophia at once. For this was the first he knew of her escape from Squire Weston, although he knew of her intention. Dressing rapidly, they rushed to the stables and questioned the ostler who had killed the horses. Uh, the ladies? I, yeah, in the morning early. Did they say where they were going? I... No. Didn't they say anything? Uh, just whether I rode to London be. That's all. I must hire two horses. I'll send them there. 
but look at this. Uh, lady dropped it. Pretty, eh? Let me see it. Partridge. It's Sophia's little pocketbook. Look, here's her name. Sell it to me, boy. Uh, Shillin? Done. And the horses, and we go to London. Tom settled himself in a room close to the centre of London and got another for Partridge close by. Then he went calling upon Lady Belliston, a cousin of Sophia's, whose name and place of residence he had discovered in the notebook. Yes, sir? I'd like to see Lady Belliston. And who is calling, sir? Uh, Thomas Jones. Oh, her ladyship is not at home. Her ladyship is out, Mr. Jones. Out? Or out to me? Out. If you wish to leave your address, you will hear from her, if she gets time. Oh, well, the address is... Answer it, will you, Partridge? Uh, yes, I, I see who it is. Mr. Jones? Yes? Parcel, here. Yeah. Oh, well, hi there. Yes. Oh. Who was it, Partridge? Uh, uh, a maid, I imagine. Brought a parcel for you. Shall I open it? Yes, go on. Oh. What the devil? It's a costume. A domino. A mask and a ticket for a masquerade. Hey, what's this? Is that another card? It says... Mr. Jones, the Queen of the Fairies sends you this. Use her favors not amiss. But who's the Queen? I, I know no one here. The only calls I've made have all been to Lady Belliston. And she's refused to see me. <laughs> well, you'll find out at the masquerade. <laughs> Hello, Domino. Are you looking for me? If you are the queen... I could be. Who are you? A friend of the lady you seek. Miss Weston? When will I see her? Never. You know your own situation. Oh, I love her. And I'd sacrifice everything to have my dear Sophia. I would like to help you. And that's really quite strange. Because after all, can you imagine anything more humiliating for a lady than to hear an attractive man rave about his feelings for another woman? I... I hope my country ways, my stupidity, have not offended you. If the fairy queen had thought you would be so ungallant, she'd hardly have made this appointment to meet. I think I shall go home. Oh, you must be charitable to an ignorant man. Permit me to redeem myself. Permit me to take you home. bother to record a conversation that is indeed a convention. The lady dressed as the fairy queen at last gave her consent by forbidding it. Well, you disobeyed me. As you knew I would. Did I? As you knew you wanted me to. I did. Will you take off your mask? Why? Or must I kiss you with it on? Try both. Now take it off. There. All off. Hello. 
Hello, who? The way you've been at my door. Everyone in town thinks you're my lover, and you ask who? Lady Belliston. Now, with the mask off. The following morning, Tom met Lady Belliston again. The conversation was merely a duplicate of the previous nights, and, uh... The forerunner of many more like it. She's an admirable lady. Uh, oh, an admirable lady indeed. She's been extremely kind to me, Partridge. Each day I get deeper and deeper into her debt, and there's no way to get out of it. Oh, well, the ladies in Kamdan are satisfied with the present arrangements. Uh, but I'm not. I must find Sophia. Yes? Letter from Mr. Jones. Oh, thank you. Let's see what her ladyship orders now. Hmm. Well, it's a change anyway. I'll meet her at her home at seven, wait for her in the library if she's late. Lady Belliston informed me, Mr. Jones. The library's right here. Tom! Tom Jones! Sophia! I didn't know, Mr. Jones. Oh, poor broken-hearted Tom Jones. I, I've gone through a thousand agonies searching for you. Not the last time I had occasion to encounter your presence. I've never stopped loving, nor has my love grown less or colder. I admit everything, but I love you and I ask your forgiveness. You know you have it. Oh, Sophia. Now, if only I had you, I'd have the world. Uh, listen, someone's coming. Lady Belliston? I thought you were attending the play, Miss Weston. I should not have broken in on you so abruptly had I known you had company. Oh, not at all. I... I uh, merely returned a pocketbook I'd found belonging to Miss Weston. Uh, now I must leave. Miss Weston, your pocketbook. Thank you most kindly, sir. Your obedient servant, my lady. On his way out, Tom saw Mrs. Honor on the stairs and managed most discreetly to tell her the house where he resided, to which place he returned and where the following noon he received a visit from Lady Belliston. Lady Belliston. Really, dear boy. Oh, but you have no need for anger. I was waiting for you to keep our appointment. Never mind that. Just tell me that she knows nothing about oh, us. Oh, no, no, never. I, I, I die, believe me. I die first. No, she's found, sir. Never found. Mrs. Honor is here now. Our under steps coming up. No. Lord, stop her, Partridge. Hold her a moment. Oh, here's a blast of muddle. Muddle, indeed. Uh, yes, step behind the bed. There's no other place in the room to hide. This isn't a rendezvous. This is a French farce and badly translated. Well, Mr. Jones, that impudent rascal Partridge tried to keep me from coming up the stairs. <laughs> really? I hope he hasn't the same reason he had at the inn in Upton. Oh, oh no, no. <laughs> well, you certainly have bewitched my mistress. I don't know what you said to her last night, but, oh, she loves you. Please, Mrs. Honor, speak soft. Or better, don't speak. Uh, there's a lady dying in the next room. 
One of your ladies, I suppose. There's so many of them. You know, I do believe we're in the house of one of them now. For my lady Bella's... Oh, hush, hush, you fool. Every word is overheard in the next room. Take your hand off my mouth. Oh, come walk downstairs with me. No, sir. If I can't speak, I'll leave. Here. Here's a letter from my mistress. Thanks. And here, buy yourself a ribbon. Oh, so much. I could get a lot of ribbon for all that. Good. Hang yourself with all of it. Oh, the hussy. The vicious, slandering wench. Oh, murderess of a woman's good name. The conversation that followed need not be sketched in detail. Suffice to say that within a matter of hours, Tom Jones received a note from Lady Belliston requiring him to call upon her no more. This inspired him to cry out, Partridge, I'm free. I'm going out to celebrate. Oh, uh, excuse me, sir. Why don't you watch where you walk? Why, it's Mr. Fitzpatrick. You recall me, don't you? The inn at Upton, the uh, the misunderstanding. Aye, I remember. I also remember I promised you something for your pains. Are you mad, you... Now, go! If you want to. He... Is he dead? He seems not to be dead yet. You'll have to come with me to the gatehouse. I'd give anything if... If I had anything to give to know that he'll live. Uh, well, I've got something to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, first news of Mr. Allworthy and nephew Blythville, a black pox on him uh, here in London. Mm, that's nothing to do with me. If ever I dreamed he'd someday take me back in his heart, uh, this mess finished that. And it is a mess, sir, because the witnesses now say um, that you killed him without even giving him time to draw. That's not true. Mm, well, if the Irishman dies, and these are the only witnesses, my boy, you'll um, swing. Oh, Partridge, you're such a comfort in this hour. Give me the other piece of news now and finish the job. Why wait for the hangman? Ah, it's a letter from Miss Sophia. Give it to me, you devil. <laughs> yeah, I, I saved it for the last to take away the bad taste of the other news. Partridge, Sophia tells me never to see or write to her again. Lady Belliston showed her my letter of proposal. Oh, let them hang me. Lady to see you, Jones. Lady? Who? Not everyone might agree with the word, Tom. Why, Mrs. Waters, the sweet lady from Upton Inn. Oh, you find an unhappy man. Why? Because you let a little blood in a duel. Oh, the king's surgeon has just examined him, and he's in no danger. Well, then all my prayers have been answered. But why are you here? Well, there are special reasons which I'm not free to divulge. Oh, someone is coming. I must go now. It's only Mr. Partridge. Oh, oh, well, excuse me. Goodbye and thank you, Mrs. Waters. You never know what news. Tom, that woman who just went out, you called her Mrs. Waters? Yes. You recall uh, at the inn in Upton? I recall her very well. 
She's 20 years older now than when I knew her. But there can be no mistake. That woman, Tom, is your mother. It was Jenny Jones. Partridge, her old employer, had recognized her. Now, a change of scene. Within the hour, a strange couple called at the London house where Mr. Allworthy was staying. I am, I must confess, I, I'm surprised to see you, both of you, Mr. Partridge and you, Jenny Jones. Well, the visit is necessary, Mr. Allworthy, for poor Tom's sake. Now the truth of his parentage must be told, or the poor lad will surely lose his mind. Why come to me? Let me tell you why. Mrs. Waters, or Jenny Jones, told him of hiring as a nurse, of agreeing to assume the onus of a child that wasn't hers for a fee. The father had been a guest in the house of Mr. Allworthy, who had died seven months before the child's birth. And the mother? No. I know. Yes, your sister Bridget. Oh, now you must help your nephew, sir. Some powerful influence is bent on destroying him. A man came to me and said that you had sent him. Uh, I saw him plain, leaving Jenny's house. I followed him here. I heard him addressed as a Mr. Dowling. That is indeed my steward's name. This Dowling told me he had been sent to offer me every assistance in the prosecution of the assailant of my husband. For that is what they take him to be. I think there's a way to straighten this out. Mr. Dowling, who sent you on these horrible missions? Who paid you to bribe the witnesses of this duel? Mr. Blyfield, who told me you'd so ordered it. I had no choice. I knew you hated Mr. Jones because he was your nephew. What? You knew? Why, certainly. I was with your sister, Miss Bridget, and Mrs. Blyfield when she died. She told me as she wrote the letter to you containing the information. The letter? I received no such letter. Why didn't you give me that letter? Well, I brought it while you was ill and delivered it to Mr. Blyfield. A grievous wrong has been done, and all at the instigation of young Blyfield. He shall be put straight, and so shall Mr. Tom Jones. I thank you all. Now, this history of Tom Jones, which I have written, is a moral book. The wicked are punished, the good are rewarded. So, here is the last of the history of Tom Jones. But, Sophia, can't you understand? Easily. I understand you. You're fickle. Never. I've only loved you. Unfaithful? Well, in a manner of speaking, uh, but never to my love for you. A rather overfine distinction? Oh, please be fair. Have I not been just? Yes, but I require mercy, not justice. Well, is it all over? When's it to be? Tomorrow? Oh, please, sir, I beseech you. Ah, I beseech my ankle. He's flim-flamming you. <laughs> She'd have the wedding tonight with all her heart. Hey, girl? Why? What would you have me do? Give him your hand. You've been mooning for him, so stop the maidenish tricks. Well, sir, I'll obey you. Here is my hand, Mr. Jones. Oh, Sophia. <laughs> Will you consent to tomorrow morning? I shall be obedient to you, sir. 
Then tomorrow it is. Since you will have it so, tomorrow it is. Oh, Sophia. And on that night ends the history of Tom Jones. For in the morning, he and Sophia were wed. And a married man has no history, only a record. So ends the NBC University Theater production of Tom Jones by Henry Fielding, starring Tom Conway as the hero of the novel. Next week, as our next subject, in a semester devoted to the classics of Anglo-American literature from Fielding to Henry James, we bring you the most renowned work of one of England's most romantic writers, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. If you're interested in learning more about these authors and their works, you may do so by enrolling in the college-supervised courses now being offered in conjunction with the NBC University of the Air. Three universities are now participating in this home study plan. Washington State College, the University of Tulsa, and the University of Louisville. For information on how you may enhance your knowledge through these courses, write to the NBC University of the Air in care of either the University of Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky, Washington State College, Pullman, Washington, or the University of Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Today's adaptation of Tom Jones was written by Morton Friedman. Our intermission commentator was J. Donald Adams, New York critic and book commentator for the New York Times. Mr. Tom Conway was starred as Tom Jones. Mr. Conway may currently be seen in the motion picture One Touch of Venus. Our cast included Ramsey Hill as narrator, Eric Snowden, Ina Ronsley, Tom McKee, Leslie Dennison, Eileen Erskine, Alma Lawton, Donald Morrison, Norma Varden, Ben Wright, Constance Cavendish, Pat O'Hearn, Monty Margetts, Naomi Stevens, Raymond Lawrence. Your announcer, Don Stanley. The director of the NBC University Theater is Andrew C. Love. Original music for Tom Jones was composed and conducted by Dr. Albert Harris. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to the NBC University Theater production of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, starring Angela Lansbury. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.